at laments. Uh, we've looked at messianic psalms. Uh, last week we looked at imprecatory psalms, which are kind of a, a somewhat controversial part of the Bible, where you pray uh, vengeance upon your enemy. But we talked about how they're giving it to the Lord. That's kind of the point of the psalm. Uh, today we're going to look at praise. Uh, and really the end of the whole book of Psalms, they call it the Psalter, P-S-A-L-T-E-R, Psalter, uh, is just a bunch of Psalms all about praise, just praising God. It's, a, it's a, like there's a psalm book in the middle of the Bible. In fact, I don't know, I don't ever uh, read Babylon B? I know we've got some people. Okay, a few people. So it's, it's a satire. That's what the purpose of Babylon B is. So it's not serious. It's a satire. And there's a funny one that kind of fit what we've talk, been talking about. Um, worship leader wishes God would have just left us an entire book of worship songs. Uh, and so, which he did in the Bible. That's kind of the point. So, while attending a worship leader's conference Tuesday, local worship leader Jake Freebird Watson lamented that God didn't just leave the churches of the world a whole book of worship songs to employ in corporate worship. Watson stated that if he had been in charge, he'd definitely have inspired an entire book of praise and worship songs expressing a wide range of emotions and declaring various truths about God. I'm not saying we'd have to sing them all the time, but it would have, been, it would have given us a whole bunch of songs to draw from, Watson told another worship leader attending the conference as both sipped iced macchiatos in between sessions. He could have put it right in the middle of the Bible for easy access. Right, Mike? <laughs> the songbook wouldn't have to be exhaustive either. Just maybe slap like 150 tunes or so in there and call it a day, he added, adjusting his beanie. The worship leader claims such a book would have helped worship leaders and music ministers add more accurate theology and passionate, inspired singing to the Lord. And further, would have prevented worship leaders from playing so many songs written by all the borderline heretical worship bands out there. I'm not questioning God's wisdom, just saying I definitely would have left a bunch of worship songs for the people to sing, he concluded. (laughs) Uh, The good news is, he did. He left us a worship book right in the middle of the Bible. 150 psalms uh, that sort of guide us. Not that these are the only songs that Christians sing, obviously, but kind of guide us as to what God is calling us to do when it comes to worship, when it comes to praise. And really, friends, this is uh, obviously close to my heart as a pastor. Uh, my dream is to see us all just worshiping the Lord. Actually, on my door, I have an old hymn. The lyrics to an old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. And that would be my dream, uh, that someday perhaps... Not just for a special event, but maybe even in a week, uh, we'd have a thousand people gathered. We can only, we can fit about a thousand. That's about a maximum in here. So it works out well uh, to sing our great Redeemer's praise with hearts lifted up and worship and praise to our God because He's worth it. He's worthy of it. He's King and He's eternal and He's worth it. So we're going to turn with me to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. We praise the Lord because He's worth it. Because he's worth it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. 
Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free, prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. I think we can guess what this psalm is about. It's about praising God because he's worth it. There's an outline in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along or you're someone who likes to take notes, feel free to to do that. Uh, But we're going to start looking at the first two verses and then the final verse, verse 10. uh, The calling here is to praise and sing to the Lord. Uh, Actually, the very first phrase there, praise the Lord. I'm going to give you the Hebrew and you guys translate it for me. All right? So at least we learn some Hebrew. Here we go. Hallelujah. What does it mean? Praise the Lord, right? That's it. So where we get the term hallelujah is right here from the Hebrew. Hallelujah is the command. It's the second person imperative. Praise and Yah is the shortened form of Yahweh. It's praise the Lord. That's what he's commanding us to do. Praise the Lord. But he's not just commanding us. Look what he says next. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So this isn't just a command outward to the rest of the people, but Lord, help me. I want to be someone who praises the Lord as well. Then he says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, as long as God gives me breath, in a sense. Even if I'm a decrepit old man who still is able, I want to continue to praise the Lord. And then he says with song, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Uh, There's a deep connection between song and worship. We'll look at that in just a bit. But then skip down to verse 10 because he begins and he sort of ends the psalm the same way. Uh, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. So God is an everlasting God. He has no beginning and no end. But look how he ends it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The command here is to make sure that we as his people are praising him because he's worth it. I noticed that again, though, the connection between singing praises to the Lord. As I had mentioned, the majority of the Psalms were meant to be songs. They were actually sung uh, throughout Israel's history and really throughout church history as well. Uh, there's a, throughout church history, there's always been when God's people come together, there's a few things they do. They study the Bible. They take communion, not necessarily every time. Uh, do baptisms. And they sing. They sing uh, the praises of the Lord. There's a deep connection between our praise of God and our singing to Him. Uh, there's different ways, I think, in which we sing about God. Uh, one, we sing and as a way uh, uh, speaking directly to God. So praise you, Lord. And you'll notice that some of our songs are directed directly to God. We're actually in the act of praise as we're singing to Him. Uh, there are other songs that we sing that are a praise, uh, that are encouragement to one another to praise the Lord. And that's really what he's doing here. He's not speaking to God so much. He's saying to the people of Israel, to the people who read this, to the people who are singing this, praise the Lord. He's speaking to one another. And another thing we do when we sing is we, sing, we ask ourselves, praise the Lord, O my soul. Come on, bring my heart up to worship and to praise. Part of our worship, a big part of our worship 
his song. And I hope that's true of you. I hope you sing to God. Uh, Even if you don't have a good, strong voice, still sing to God. How many people here are shower singers? Come on, be honest. I sing in the shower. There's got to be more than that. All right, there's a couple more. Sing in the shower to God. How many people sing alone in the car? Right? That's There we go. A lot more hands went up. When we, when we, when we praise God, we sing His praises because He's worth it. He's worthy of that. Friends, I, I've been... Uh, one of the things I love about it is that they're so diverse, that the music itself uh, is so diverse, and that the ways in which we praise God are all different ways. I think of the scripture that says we praise Him with hymns. You sang a hymn this morning? Psalms. We just read a psalm this morning. And spiritual songs, which we did as well. Worship songs. So those who want to say there is only one sort of right way to worship God, one particular music style which we have to use to worship God, there's sort of sacred music they've misunderstood. The scriptures themselves don't call for one way to worship God. We worship God in all different styles. Yes, even rap music. Uh, Now, some of of you guys think, I can't imagine rap music uh, as a way of praising God. Actually, Christian rap is a big deal. And Christian rap right now, much of it ends up being very theologically sound. Much more so than a lot of modern praise music, believe it or not. There's a whole world of Christian rap that is actually very much speaking about the glory of God and as raising up Christ and is ministering to a demographic of people that maybe you aren't familiar with and yet worships Him. But I hope in our church too that we recognize the diversity of song. Uh, one of the things I, I need is to see this sanctuary. Looking around you, this looks like a very traditional sanctuary. It is a very traditional sanctuary. But this actually transforms pretty nicely into a concert. I don't know if you know that. I actually have a picture. We can put that one up. So that's the sanctuary you're sitting in right now. It actually transforms. There's a local Christian group that needed a place. They wanted a place to do their opening sort of uh, album. Um, and they're, they're, they're heart and their passion is to do Christian music and to minister to people and they looked to us and we said yes and they transformed this room into a place of worship and absolutely that brings glory to God Uh, you know I think really the question is really has more to do with the content of what we're saying what we're singing to God does it raise him up does it give him glory I really uh, my desire is and I think Mike would agree with me Pastor Mike would agree with me is for congregational singing uh, the idea is we want to move away from a, a performance and see that each person who's come to worship is singing. Uh, even if you're not singing that loud because you're a little self-conscious. But are you singing and is your heart singing in praise to God? I would just ask you, friends, uh, when you sing corporately together, uh, where's your heart? Is your heart actually in it? And I, here's what I think happens oftentimes. We, we're more worried about what I sound like to the people around me right? Or we're more worried about what the people around me sound like to me. (laughs) Or we're worried about what everybody else is wearing. Or we're worried about the heat or whatever it may be or what we're going to have for lunch. And I think, friends, it's an active sense in which we need to pursue worship and song. To look to our own hearts as he's doing right here. Oh, my soul. Am I right now as I'm singing this song, lifting it up in praise to God. Now, so some, some songs that have been hitting me lately, I just want to share the words with you. Um, and these are modern songs, but uh, one I just bought today uh, by Bethel Music, No Longer Slaves. Anyone familiar with that? From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love is called my name. I've been born again into a family. Your blood 
flows through my veins. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm surrounded by the arms of the Father. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. We've been liberated from our bondage. We're the sons and the daughters. Let us sing our freedom. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me, and I will stand and sing. I am a child of God. And we're singing this. Are we singing about the gospel? We're singing to encourage one another. Here's another one. Come to the table by Sidewalk Prophets. He said, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. And the invitation is to come to the table of the Lord. That's what he's saying. Come to the table uh, with, in fellowship with the Lord. Come meet this motley crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here. No. So that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door. And let mercy draw you near. Just come to the table. To the thief and to the doubter. To the hero and to the coward. To the prisoner and the soldier. To the young and to the older. All who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and all the princes, all who fail, you've been forgiven. All who dream, all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead. Anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who've been labeled right or wrong, everyone who hears this song, just come, come to the table. Are we singing to God? Are we praising Him? One more. This is Hillsong. This is who, I, who you say I am. It's just reminding us as if the psalmist here is singing to himself. So it's a reminder to ourselves. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. This is an important part of the Christian life. Are we praising Him? And not just in song. As I said, song has a central place in our worship. But it doesn't by itself encompass all of worship. Worship is bigger than just song. Uh, In your thoughts throughout the day. In your prayers. As you speak to God. As you meditate on the scriptures. Is your heart being brought to worship? But more than that, even in your actions and in your conversations... Your fellowship with other people. What you post on Facebook. <laughs> Is it an act of worship? Are you looking to praise the Lord? Well, he goes into why. Why do we praise the Lord? Why is he worth it? Actually, verses 3 and 4, he talks about who not to praise. And so, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. But who do we not praise? But verse 3, put not your trust in princes. Uh, princes, you can imagine, would be probably the most enviable people uh, in the kingdom. Uh, the king's kind of an old guy. And he's kind of the previous generation. He's going to get old and he's going to pass away. But the prince is a young guy. He, the future is his. He's probably wealthy and powerful. He's got everything he wants. 
And he says here, don't put your trust in these princes. Uh, in a son of man, a son of man is just a way of saying a human being. Uh, a son or a daughter of man is a human being. So don't put your trust in a son of man um, at all. Don't put your trust in a human being. So when Jesus called himself the son of man, uh, part of what he was doing was identifying himself as a fully human person. Of course, he was also fully divine, but he, uh, being a son of man in whom he says there is no salvation. And in the eyes and the mind of the psalmist, he probably has in mind here no earthly salvation, no victory uh, against our enemies. That ultimately comes from the Lord. But certainly as Christians, we can see it as more than that. There's no salvation from sin. There's no eternal life from another human being. It comes from God. Verse 4, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. These princes, kings, any human being, what happens over time? They die. And it says here, on that day, his plans perish. All that he had hoped for, all that he was building, all that he had planned, comes to an end. He's mortal. He's temporary. He's human. I did a funeral just yesterday for a 47-year-old lady. I don't think she was expecting to only make it 47 years in life. He said, as we always do at a funeral... Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. The end of all flesh is the grave. But in God is our eternal hope. She was a believer in Christ as well. Uh, Notice the distinction of everything he's saying here about these princes and God. So he says about them that there is no salvation. But we know that in God there is salvation. And if you don't know this message, this is the heart of the Christian faith. God has brought us salvation. He sent His only Son into this world who took on flesh, became like us in every way, yet without sin, laid down His life for us on the cross, became a sacrifice in our place, died taking upon Himself the wrath of God and rose in triumph over the grave so that all those who put their faith in Him could be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. He's eternal And he can bring salvation. Notice what he says about the breath. God's breath never departs. Uh, He never comes to an end. Uh, God is completely eternal. And when you think about eternity, it's almost hard to wrap our minds around that, isn't it? Uh, How can God be eternal? How can he never have a beginning? Uh, How can anything never have a beginning, right? We can imagine, so what was God doing 10,000 years ago? He was there. What was he doing 10 million years ago? Still there. What was he doing 10 billion years ago? Or 10 to the billionth power years ago? He always was or always is. Uh, It's almost impossible to even comprehend this. Uh, We even say when it comes to our laws of physics and the creation that God has made, everything comes to an end. That's the law of entropy. Everything breaks down over time. But God, who is apart from his creation, is not subject to the laws of physics as everything in this universe is, is an eternal God. And therefore, because of that, his plans never perish. If God sets out to do something, he will accomplish it. Because he never comes to an end. And if he understands the end from the beginning, what he wills to bring about, comes about. His plans don't perish because he's eternal. Now his plans may not happen in the same speed that we want them to. His plans may not turn out the way we expect them to. But God works out his perfect plan, whether we understand it or not. We are temporary. 
I, uh, one of my favorite movies is an old cowboy movie. I'm, I, I kind of like the old westerns. Actually, it's not that old, but it's a western movie called Broken Trail with Robert Duvall. And uh, the idea behind the movie is he's an old cowboy. He's got a younger cowboy. He's kind of training the younger cowboy. And they're moving a group of, uh, I think, 400 head of, of horses across the United States from one place to another. And along the way, they come with all these different issues. And they end up rescuing this group of uh, Chinese girls who were being sold into prostitution. And when uh, one of them dies, Robert Duvall, the old cowboy, does the uh, sort of short little funeral service for the girl. And he has this little saying that he says. He says it a couple times in the movies at different times people die. He says this. We are all travelers in this world. From the sweet grass to the packing house. Birth till death. We travel between the eternities. We travel between the eternities. All the princes that he had in mind as he wrote this are all dust. The man who wrote this is dust. The people who originally read it are dust. But God is eternal. He's saying here, be careful where you put your trust. Don't put your trust in princes. And I think of where do we put our trust? Where do we tend to put our trust in this world other than God? A number of different areas. Let me give you a few. Uh, we tend to put our trust in politicians. Uh, the world, our, the world, well the world, yes, but our country too has gone insane right now with presidential politics. I mean, it is just so tense. It is so angry. It is such a divisive sphere. I don't say anything. I, I don't know if you, if, you, if you follow me online or if you even in conversation. I don't say anything. I don't tell you anything. I don't, I don't talk about pro-Trump or anti-Trump or anything because right now, unless it's a personal conversation, it is, everything is so tense. Everyone is so angry. If you say something pro-Trump, then you must be an absolute racist, right? If you say something anti-Trump, you must be an open borders liberal who wants a one world order. I mean, there's, there's no in-between right now in the world of, of politics. It's because we put so much hope on these people. We think that Washington, D.C., and the people in the White House, and the people, I mean, they have a place. God calls us certainly to pray for them. God calls certain individuals to get involved in politics and to play a part in that. Friends, ultimately our hope is in something far greater than that. Our hope is in God, who is eternal. And we'll be here long beyond all this stuff comes to an end. Don't put your hope in there. We we tend to put our hope in in celebrities. Uh, We we say, I want to be like them. And we take a, a few people and we make idols of them and we raise them up. And we say... That's what I want to be like. My whole life begins sort of modeled after them or certain athletes or whatever. I remember when I was a kid, MJ, Michael Jordan, was my hero. I wanted to be like Mike. And uh, I tried to be like Mike. Uh, I made it to 5'10". I needed another foot if I was going to really be like Mike uh, to play in the NBA. It wasn't going to happen. I was so disappointed, though, when I actually heard, and maybe, you know, I don't know his heart, but when you hear him in interviews, he comes across as a very conceited, arrogant guy. I don't know, maybe he's changed, I don't, I don't judge him, but I'm just saying, what a disappointment to put a guy on a pedestal and then, and then to hear him talk. Totally different situation. And friends, don't put your hope there. Don't put your hope in pastors. <laughs> don't put your hope in preachers. They come and go. I remember, uh, you know, for a long time, Billy Graham, of course, was the guy. And everyone thought, what's going to happen when Billy Graham passes away? Well, Billy Graham's going to go to heaven... 
And the church is going to continue to preach the gospel as it has for 2,000 years. And it's going to continue to do ministry as it's supposed to. And we're going to continue uh, to serve the Lord with or without any individual specific leader in this world. I, I had, uh, I've never been a celebrity, obviously. But I had a little feeling one time. It was like, I, I, met, I met somebody. And she goes, oh, it's nice to finally meet you. Uh, this is what, uh, maybe a little background. This is when I was doing the Faith and Haverhill show. It's our local, sort of local uh, TV show, interview show. And we had just had a write-up on our church for, on the paper uh, for our 250-year anniversary. And I said, oh, I'm Rick. And, and I met her. She goes, oh, I, 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 and I've never met you. It's fine to actually meet you in person. I only recognize you from TV and the newspaper. And I got a little sense of what it's like to feel like a celebrity for a few seconds there. So, uh, but no, absolutely not. We're all just fallible temporary human beings who come and go. We praise the Lord who is eternal. Uh, even this church has seen sort of its celebrities come and go uh, and its politicians come and go. I don't know if you know this, but uh, George Washington visited Haverhill, Massachusetts one time. And the reason why he did it was because of the, pa- the pastor of this church. So the first pastor of this church was a guy named Hezekiah Smith. He was a chaplain in the Revolutionary War. He knew General Washington personally. And upon, partly upon his request, he came to visit Haverhill, Massachusetts. So our claim to fame is somewhat connected uh, to, to First Baptist Church here in Haverhill. Uh, the church's charter was signed by this guy. Anyone know who that is? Just yell it out if you know it. I'll give you a hint. He put his John Hancock right on the Constitution. So, our Declaration, sorry, of Independence. He is, that's John Hancock. So, he was the mayor, I mean, he was the uh, governor of Massachusetts, and our church's charter was signed by John Hancock. We actually have a copy of it in the cafe, if you haven't seen it. So, we've had our, our brushes with celebrities, our brushes with politicians. They've all come and gone, and here we are still worshiping the same God who is eternal, and our hope is in Him. Put not your trust in princes, and the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. We praise God because He blesses us. And we praise God because He blesses us. Look at verse uh, 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord His God. So God has become our help and our hope. The God of Jacob. Jacob's another word for Israel, another name for Israel. But God has become our help and our hope. That is to say, He's become the object of our faith. He's the one we trust in, not princes, but in God Himself. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed is another way of saying having the favor of God, happiness, <laughs> to, to be flourishing under Him, to have the his delight in us. A blessing comes from God to those who put their help and their hope in Him. And then he describes who God is. God is the one who made heaven and earth. As we said, He's the creator of everything that is. Uh, everything did not just come from nothing, which is impossible. Uh, again, under our laws of physics, everything can't just pop into existence. It's just an impossibility. We say, where did God come from? Well, like I said, God's not subject to our laws of physics. He stands outside of it. There's a mystery there. But he's, it's not a contradiction. He's the creator of all that is. And then he mentions also the sea. 
and all that's in them. And the reason for that is the sea was a place of mystery. You think about it, they had a pretty good grasp on the land. The land is pretty, you know, they've learned agriculture, plowing, seeding, irrigation, all that stuff. Land is controllable. Uh, But the sea is a place of chaos, a place where people die in shipwrecks all the time, a place that they don't know what's beneath them and how deep this water goes. Actually, even for them, it was far more mysterious than they understood. The biggest sea that they knew uh, would have been the Mediterranean Sea. They call it the Great Sea. Um, and a bunch of us from Israel did get to stick our feet into the Mediterranean Sea, which was kind of neat. Many of you guys have too, probably, if you visited Italy or Greece or something. Um, you've probably been over to the, to the Mediterranean. Uh, but the truth of the matter is they had no concept of something like the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> which you could drop the entire Mediterranean Sea into the Pacific Ocean and it wouldn't even make a dent. Something that is so huge and vast and mysterious. It shows the power of God as creator. The one who made all things in them. The one who made the blue whale. The blue whale is the largest animal that's ever lived, as far as we know, on this planet. Bigger than any dinosaur that's ever existed. Bigger than the Brachiosaurus or whatever other big giant dinosaurs there are. And it's still alive today. The creator of the manta ray, these giant stingray-like creatures that you can dive and swim with because they're completely harmless. The creator of the barnacle, this tiny little creature that feeds on little plankton that sticks to rocks and crabs and other crustaceans and survives all over the ocean. Of the three-hearted octopus, the octopi, in the plural. Of kelp, which fills the ocean floor. Of the bull shark, which is able to swim up freshwater rivers. Of coral reef, which are huge, massive rocks that are alive. Of the anglerfish, which lives at the depths of the ocean in complete darkness. Ugly looking thing too, by the way. He's the creator of everything. Let's recognize God who blesses us as the one who is able to work in our lives. He's the creator. Think about this. You would not exist if it wasn't for God choosing to make you and create you. Uh, not just you wouldn't be born, you would not exist. There would be nothing around us. He's the creator, first and foremost. He's our savior. He's the one who redeems us. He gives us his son to make us his own. He wipes clean the slate of our sin, adopts us as his children, and promises us eternal life. He's the God who is at work in each aspect of our lives. Uh, he sustains us. He's not just the creator who sort of creates his creation and then pushes it away and leaves it to go. No, he's involved in its daily affairs. As I mentioned earlier, not a, not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge. That every hair on your head is numbered. We have union with Christ. We daily walk with him. He's at work in each aspect of our being. As we serve God who is powerful and is mighty, has made heaven and earth and the seas, and he keeps faith forever towards us. Friends, God is a God who blesses us. And when you think about this connection between blessing and praise, here's what I would say about it. First of all, we praise God because he blesses us. Right? That's the first thing. Uh, God blesses our lives, blesses us with salvation, he blesses our lives daily. 
So what's the only right response to that? When somebody gives you something freely, something you really need, something you really like, what should you do? Say thank you. (laughs) Be grateful. Turn to him and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's part of the connection between praise and blessing. God blesses us. We respond, we gather, we sing to him, we say thank you, we praise you. God, you're such a great God. Thank you for making us. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for saving us. It's another connection though. Uh, There's a blessing that actually comes from praising him. So God tells us to praise him right here in Psalm 146. So if you don't praise him, you're being disobedient. If you do praise him, you're being obedient. There's a command in scripture, praise the Lord. We respond by doing what he says and with obedience always comes blessing. It may not be a financial blessing or a physical blessing, but there always comes a blessing with obedience. We respond with obedience to Him, and there's a blessing that comes out of that. God blesses us when we sort of align ourselves in, in the way He's called us. This is what He's created us to do. One of the things He's made us to do is to praise Him, is to sing to Him, is to be thankful in our hearts towards Him. And when we sort of align our lives rightly with what God has called us to do, there's an effect on our lives. It's a blessing. But there's a third one. (laughs) And I think this is important. The very act of praising is a blessing in itself. You see, friends, when we're actually praising God, (laughs) are some of the most joyful and happy times of our lives. I hope that's true of you. I hope you can look back at your life and say, those times of actual worship, whether you were alone in the car or gathered with a church family or whatever it was, standing before a, a... a congregation and doing your vows in the eyes of God or whatever it was that very act itself is a blessing is a joy in itself it's what we were made to do to praise Him Uh, just as a comparison or an illustration I've been doing a lot of surf casting this year and um, here's the thing about surf casting Uh, if your goal in surf casting your ultimate goal your only goal is to catch something that you can take home and cook and eat, you're going to be severely disappointed. Because <laughs> you don't catch much when it comes to surf casting. So the, I've been out three times and I've caught one fish. That's it. All right? That's it. So you, if, if that's your goal, is to actually bring home something to eat, you're in big trouble. And even the one fish I caught was about 10 inches too small to take home and eat. All right? So the chances of actually catching something are pretty low. The chances of catching something that you're going to actually take home that's 28 inches long, I think is for stripers, that you can cook and eat, are even lower. So if that's the ultimate goal of surf casting, it's going to be a severely disappointing venture for you. But if you recognize the joy of the actual process, I have a picture if you, if you recognize that to be out there by the ocean with a nice, cool breeze blowing in your face and the smell of the salt water and sometimes a little bit of drizzle that creates a full rainbow in front of you and you're out there with a couple of friends and enjoying some fellowship and conversation, catching something is not the ultimate point. And I would just say that about worship. Part of what worship is about is not what do I get out of this in the end? Uh, What is the long-term benefit that I get? What is God going to give me if I spend enough time in praise to Him? No, friends, the very act of worship is in itself part of the very blessing that it comes with. The joy of doing what we were created to do 
what we're supposed to do. Know God, thank God, praise God, sing to Him, and enjoy Him. And I hope that's true of you, friends. Fourthly, look, we praise God because He's merciful. Because He's merciful. So he now begins to explain different ways in which God is intimately involved in his creation. And one thing you'll notice about this list of things that he gives is God is helping those who are hurting. Almost all of these have to do with helping those who are hurting. He executes justice for the oppressed. He not only does that, he sets the prisoner, I'm sorry, gives food to the hungry, verse 7. He lets he sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down, who have been humbled. Loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners, the foreigners, those who are sort of in a land that's not their own and the difficulties that that comes with. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. God has a special compassion and love for those who are hurting. Uh, Think of the widow and the fatherless. Uh, you couldn't think of two people who are two types of people who are in more need than them in that generation. At that point in time, it just it was what it was. The man of the house made money and that supported the family, and that's just what it was. If you are a widow, you're in big trouble. You need to, if you're young enough, you better find a husband quickly. If you're old enough, you better find some merciful benefactor very quickly. And if you're a kid and now you have no father, you're going to be a street kid, or until you can find, uh, unless you get adopted or. Uh, can step up to the plate and make your own way. It's extremely difficult. And yet again and again we see in Scripture God's compassion and love for widows and for the fathers, for orphans. Friends, I would just say maybe that's you in your situation that one of these or or none of these, but you find yourself in a situation that you're hurting. Um, Maybe you're lonely. Um, Maybe you're struggling with some chronic sickness and ailment. Maybe you're struggling with a broken marriage. God has a special love for those who are hurting. And I just encourage you to turn to Him directly. Cry out to Him as a God who opens the eyes of the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down, helps those who are oppressed. Friends, not only that, in a sense, all of us, in this category regardless of what you're going through right now all of us are oppressed by sin all of us are spiritually blind without Christ all of us are hungry for the bread of life are foreigners in this land and friends God has saw to our desperate need by way of the gospel. He's given us his son, Jesus, who is the living water, the bread of life, the one who adopts us as his sons and his daughters, who frees us from the tyranny of sin and death and makes us his own. I also want to make an application here that if this is God and his character, then we as Christians should be following in his footsteps. Uh, We should be doing the same thing. We should look to those who are in need. (laughs) Look to those who are hurting and and reach out to them. I think that's very important for us as a congregation. The chances are there are people in the pew somewhere next to you or near you who are going through something very difficult 
and are really crying out silently and hoping that you might ask them and talk to them if you have that relationship. And to begin that conversation and to see what you can do to reflect the image of your God and Creator and show mercy. That's what we want to do as a church. Uh, we've kind of zeroed in our, our, our local ministries in this way. We, we have our prison ministry, um, New Brothers Fellowship that we support. Frank Maynard is here, a brother who uh, not only do we do a nice aftercare program right here at the church on Thursdays to those who have just come out of prison who need that sort of unique type of fellowship, uh, but God has opened the doors, which is funny. You say he opened the doors to a prison, but that's what he did, spiritual doors in a sense, so that we can get into prisons in the area and do ministry. Frank spends every other week or so, every Saturday and every other week on Sunday almost, uh, doing ministry in Brentwood Prison running a service, sharing the gospel with these guys, and I get to hear the stories of what God is doing there. We look to those in prison. One area, another area is we look to those who are hungry in our city with our open hearts ministry. We do a meal every week. We also have a sort of personal care ministry that Sandy does, make sure people have soap and shampoo and deodorant or whatever else they need, but we want to make sure anyone that's hungry has a meal. Uh, and here's the great thing. If you believe in Jesus, you get a free meal. If you don't believe in Jesus, you get a free meal, all right? So there's no stipulation. Come and eat and no strings attached. Of course, we want you to believe in Jesus as Savior and as Lord, but there's no strings attached. Anyone that's hungry, come and eat. We have a nursing home ministry that comes ministers twice a month that goes into a Pentecook nursing home and just runs a service and talks to the people who are there and helps them out. We want to, as a church, make sure we have, uh, and then there's the pregnancy care ministry. I don't want to forget, forget them. Uh, looking to those uh, moms, uh, mostly I think single moms in our city who need uh, prenatal care, advice, guidance, stuff like baby food and formula. Uh, it's one of the ministries we're strongly behind. And um, many of you guys know, I just threw up as a, 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 a fundraiser that for my 40th birthday uh, that if you want to donate um, something to it and uh, I think I set a goal this is a typical goal of $200 and uh, as of today from you guys mostly uh, a few outside but most of you guys uh, the total is 487 so thank you guys for your generosity I wasn't expecting that I said to Jess I said wow well, you know who knows whatever if I get a 50 bucks or something that'd be fine but all of a sudden here we are nearly $500 later so thank you for your generosity great local ministry. When we do these things, friends, what are we doing? We're reflecting the heart of God who is merciful to those who are hurting. We praise Him because He's merciful. We praise the Lord in song, but in every area of life as well, but there is a unique place for song. Uh, we praise the Lord, not human beings. Ultimately, in the end, every human being is simply a mortal who travels between the eternities. We praise the Lord who blesses us. We praise Him because He blessed us. We praise Him. We are blessed because we praise Him. And the very act of praise and worship is a blessing in itself. And we praise the Lord because He is a merciful God. One more thing in conclusion. Praise is what unites the church. You see, if, if all of our focus is not on God, let's see, where else is it going to be? Looking down, 
at the carpet. Oh, you know, I don't really like this carpet color. We should change it. What color should it be? Maybe it should be blue. Maybe it should be gray. Maybe it should maintain a different type of red. And we're all going to have disagreements as to what we should do with the carpet. Or if I, instead of looking down, I look out and I look out to our city. That's from my perspective there. And we have different opinions as to what type of ministry and what type of methods we should use to reach our city. Some people say we should do more social action in our city. Others might say we need to be more clear gospel evangelism one-on-one and we'll have all these disagreements as, as to what we do. If I just look around me instead, I might say, you know, I, I, don't think, I think the pastor should wear a suit. You know, that's not right. Or the pastor should wear jeans and a t-shirt so we can relate to it. And it's all going to be about each other. But friends, if all of us are looking to the shepherd, if all of us are looking to praise the Lord, we'll be together with our eyes focused on the same goal, to know and to love Him more. Friends, as we begin this series in Psalm 23, looking at the shepherd of his sheep. That's why we have all these little sheep up here. By the way, on the sheep, kids, afterwards... You can take one home, all right? So kick them around if you want, but I think we have enough of them. I counted 16 of them up here, and so take one home. If we don't have enough, we'll go youngest to oldest, all right? So if you're, if you're a teenager, you get last pick. we we'll go from youngest to oldest, and you should have enough by the end, I think. But we started with Psalm 23, our eyes on the shepherd. I read this at the funeral, of course, yesterday as well. The Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. It leads us to green pastures, places of spiritual food, and to still waters, safe waters, to drink and refresh. He guides us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. guides us through life. But even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, those hard times that we face, we recognize we will not fear because He is with us. His rod and His staff in hand, His protection and His guidance. We look to the shepherd of His sheep who protects us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we can say and sing with the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We say that, Lord, not, not only to one another, but we say it as He did to our own soul. Help us to praise you more, Lord. Help us to be less mindful, less mindful of the people around us when it comes to praise and worship and more mindful of our sovereign God who reigns over all creation in the depths of the sea and over all eternity. And then we do look at those around us, Lord. We would do so with mercy, trying to reflect the mercy of our Creator who loves us and how to help those who are oppressed and hurting. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of worship. We praise you, Lord, because you are worth it. You've blessed us abundantly. And Lord, we know that a blessing itself comes out of worship, but Lord, help us as we continue to sing and take communion and worship you and be sent back out to enjoy our God who loves us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing.